chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's where we're going to be this morning concerning the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, we'll finish this chapter up. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we would pray that you would help us with it. We are not only quick to twist your words, but we're also quick to bring our own prejudices, our own presuppositions to the text. We want it to say something before we even read it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to cast those aside, that you would teach us, open our hearts and our minds, that we could hear from your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I read through this text and looked at the, you know, just the the idea of the Ethiopian eunuch in this text, reading the scriptures and not understanding them, it helped me to appreciate that as I've, you know, that I'm married to an artist and uh, because of that, I appreciate art more and more. And by appreciate, I don't simply mean Oh, look at the pretty colors. Uh, but everything that kind of goes along with that, we, we've gone to see paintings and museums and other pieces of art, and it's amazing how just tacking on a little bit of history and a little bit of culture opens up what were just colors on a canvas to you. It opens it up that much more. It was just a mix of colors before, but now if you put it in a time, put it in a particular time with people in a place, all of a sudden, The meaning just comes out more and more, even as you study. A painting can come more and more to life as you look at it. The best artworks are the ones that have that real depth and complexity that go beyond just the colors there. The same can be said about a good book or a poem, even as much as I don't like poetry. It's true. Or a good piece of music. You you don't listen to a Bach concerto and say, all right, well, uh, that's once and I'm done with that one. I solved it. That's it. Artists like Bach don't come around very often. And so the depth of his music is nearly limitless. You can listen to it over and over and it retains wealth and meaning. So in our text today, we're going to meet a man who's reading one such work, the work that has inexhaustible value, truly. Unlike Bach or Rembrandt or any of the others, the book that this man is reading is of divine origin. It's the subject of our story. And the the book that he's reading is the book of Isaiah, which has been quoted already several times this morning. Much like my experience with art, this man is going to be shown that there is much more than just words on a page. These words are the words of life and of salvation. And for us, what we do with God's word is of vital importance, not only prior to our belief, obviously, but even now, as we trust in Jesus for our salvation, we don't stop. We can't stop learning more and more. Like God, his word is inexhaustible and past finding out. Though that's true, we always don't treat it as such. Rather, we treat it as if it's something that can be solved and put away. Well, I've already heard that or I've already read that. I get that. Moving on. That's not possible with God's word. 
And so because of that, with that, I want to look at the text today and these three ideas. First, the obedience to preach. Second, the patience to teach. And then third, acting out in obedience. And so with that, let's read the text together. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Please stand together as we read from God's Word. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a quick review from last week, and then a few side issues until we get to the, the text. Remember last week we, be, we began what we'll call Philip's missionary journey. Today we'll end it, but it's been quite a journey even though it's contained in this one chapter. Philip preached the gospel to a Samaritan city, which led to their salvation. It led to the deliverance from the trickster Simon Magus. Remember Simon played the part of a believer but was found out and rebuked by Peter. Simon would continue to plague the church according to history, but the church was gaining ground in more places than just Jerusalem. It was now spreading in Samaria. And the book of Acts is going to take us as it spreads throughout the rest of the world, even or the known world at the time. Now Philip was commanded to go through the desert for a meeting with an Ethiopian eunuch, which we'll get to shortly few side issues concerning this text. This text does not teach anything about the mode of baptism. It just says that a eunuch was baptized. Much has been drawn out of the area about them going down into the water and coming up out of the water and that there was a desert and there weren't pools of water and lots of other whatevers. If you come to this text and you see that, then you are like the eunuch and you do not understand what you are reading. 
is not about mode of baptism. Another issue, this text is not saying to you that you have to believe in order to be baptized. That happens to be the case with the eunuch. We, we connect circumcision with baptism, which we'll be looking at in greater detail in Sunday school today. I encourage you to stick around as we are going to be talking about the sacraments. In, in the Old Testament, the circumcision is the sign that was given to Abram, an adult, and all of his household, many other adults. Why? Because they had not yet received that sign. Why were they circumcised? Because they needed to be. They hadn't yet received that. Why did God issue it to Abraham? Or Abram, because he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. What else was he instructed to do? Give it as a lasting ordinance. To who? All believers and their children and so forth. So with that, we administer the covenant sign to an adult upon their profession of faith. Yes, absolutely. And to infants of believers because of the promises for them also, according to God himself. So just because this man believed and was baptized doesn't mean that that's a necessary formula. We have to be careful with that. Baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant that exists between the children of God and their families and then God himself. It does not save. It cannot save. But it should be administered to all those who are in the covenant community. We'll talk more about that in Sunday school. So with that, let's get to the first point, obedience to preach. After what was going on in Samaria, Philip is told to go to the middle of the desert. There in verse 26, he says, Rise and go toward the south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. The Lord was not trying to beat around the bush with this uh, instruction. He's going to some road here which is headed out of the area toward Africa. You think of the Ethiopian eunuch coming to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's headed back toward his homeland, and this is the road that he would take. And so here, Philip meets this Ethiopian. So a little bit about what is meant by he was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court of the official of a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Let's talk a little bit about that. He was a eunuch, which meant that he was an emasculated servant of the king. Usually, the eunuch was in charge of the king's harem. And some of them, some eunuchs, could rise to positions of power in the kingdom, obviously under the king, but in in an important position, which is what we see here very likely. He is mentioned to be a court official of Candace. Candace was a term for the mother of the king. In the Ethiopian culture at the time, the king would not concern himself with the business of the treasury, for instance, with the other business of the kingdom. The king in the Ethiopian culture at the time was believed to be a god. And so he did not concern himself with that. He would let his mother take care of those things. And so this eunuch is in the service to Candace, that mother. He came to Israel to worship and was reading from a scroll, which happened to be from the book of Isaiah. Interestingly interestingly enough, he's reading from Isaiah 53, but like we read from uh, Isaiah 56 this morning, there's a blessing there for eunuchs. And so there may have been a reason that he was reading from this particular version of the text. If you'll look there at, at our call to worship in the bulletin, it's the first several verses of Isaiah 56. I think this may explain to us his pilgrimage. Maybe he was what is called a God-fearer, 
uh, in, the, in the Bible and throughout history, these Gentiles who recognized the God of the Bible as God, but did not, but retained their own culture. They did not convert to Judaism. So he retained his culture, yet recognized the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture. Which, again, if you read through the Old Testament, you see the works of God displayed. Many of the nations would have had these types of people who were called God-fearers, but weren't actual Jews. And so as he's reading, he's reading in Isaiah 53, which speaks of the one who will bring the salvation that is promised in Isaiah 56. In many ways, when Jesus told his disciples that the fields were white for the harvest or ripe for the harvest, this is exactly what he is talking about. People who are looking for salvation, like this man, they have questions. They need only have a preacher to tell them. When I say preacher, I'm not the only one in the room. All of us are called to that. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10. How will they hear without a preacher? That's talking about all of us. How will they hear? So let's talk about, let's think about Philip's encounter here. The Lord instructs him to go. He rose. He sees this Ethiopian eunuch and the spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Do we believe Philip's encounter with this man was a chance encounter? That the Lord said, go here. Oh, there just happens to be uh, this person here. Of course not. We know that because you can just look at the story. God put him here for this particular purpose. God completely orchestrated this event. He said, Philip, go here. Philip went. And then there just was someone there to share the gospel with. He was whisked away right after this, literally, onto another mission field right then. And he was there for that time and purpose as well. And so you have to understand that this is a very divine thing, that he, he has brought Philip to this place. He immediately takes Philip away. We meet Philip again later in the book of Acts doing missions there where he was, where he was taken. And I'm sure you all see the lesson here. There's no such thing as a chance encounter. There are no random conversations. There are no accidental conversions. There is purpose in all that we do and say. And the Lord's calling on our lives is very specific for that purpose. I was at State, I was at State Farm a few days ago to do insurance things. I don't know why else you would go there. But ended up having an, an encouraging conversation with a like-minded believer there. We both were very encouraged by being able to talk about our faith with each other in a place where people don't typically, I'm sure, talk about their faith. Was this a coincidence? No. There's no such thing. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, His freedom to save whom He will, then we believe that God ordains these types of meetings. Absolutely 100%. Consider your own situation, your station in life, or your vocation. Where does God have you? Why does He have you there? Are you being obedient to His call and command to preach so that the world may know? Stories like this here in Acts make it easier. We can look at this and think, wow, Philly, or Philly, Philip must really know his Bible. 
And God took care of the rest. Of course, God also took care of Philip knowing his Bible. I think you understand that. Are we faithful to this? Are you, are we faithful to understanding what we are reading? That brings me to the next point, his patience to teach. So Philip, as we're told, runs up to the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? To make sure we get the right picture here, uh, we don't have like the flash running up beside Ben-Hur and talking about Isaiah. They're not like sprinting. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, you know, with the fast chariots going around uh, the Circus Maximus or it's nothing like that. And we don't have Philip Flash Gordon running up beside them. Hey, you got a minute? No, nothing like that. I think I like that picture, but that's not what's going on. This chariot is likely this whole entourage of people in which the eunuch is just simply riding slowly. He's kind of the one who's this whole entourage is about, really. Uh, you couldn't very well read one of these giant scrolls. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these Hebrew scrolls, but they're not like a little thing that you carry in your pocket. They're a big thing that you set out on a big table. Big thing. And you could not very well do that on a fast-moving chariot on a bumpy road. But Philip did run to catch him. Probably caught him off guard, I'm sure. This man appears out of nowhere and, and runs up and um, starts asking questions. So the, And the eunuch was reading aloud, probably because the language wasn't his own. Because the words were small. And when words are hard to understand, sometimes we like to read aloud. I think we still do that. So look with me at verses 30 through 35. We just, we read 30. Do you really understand, or do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What does Philip do? He opens up the scriptures to him. He explained Isaiah 53 to him, which Todd read for us this morning. I just knew that he was going to. He was going to read that passage for us. It reads very much like an eyewitness account of the crucifixion. It's almost as if it was a prophecy about Jesus himself. It is. And at the beginning, we see note here that beginning with this scripture, Philip taught him the good news about Jesus. Did Philip limit his teaching to Isaiah 53? No. He likely expounded upon all of this. He expounded about who Jesus was in his life. He taught him from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. He taught him about Jesus. He probably told him about Jesus' great commission to make disciples of the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes us see his interest for being baptized. He probably taught him about the church, about all of his faith for Philip. There's a textual variant here, and I think it's important to note. Note that um, well, my Bible here skips verse 37. Yours may have it there, have some italics or something around it, or you get the idea. 
Verse 37 says this, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Answering the, the question, What prevents me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Again, this is verse 37, missing from the ESV, missing from several others, probably present in your, if you have King James or New King James. The idea presented here in 37 isn't wrong, necessarily. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. It's not a bad doctrine, but it's not essential to any doctrine present here. It's not found in the earliest, most reliable manuscripts, so many modern translations leave that out. But even without this variant, we can assume that the eunuch believed in Jesus, or Philip would not baptize him. So again, it's not a necessary thing. The important thing for us to draw out, Philip brought this man to a point of decision by teaching Jesus to him, and he believed. I think many times we'll encounter people who need to be slowly, patiently walked through the scriptures so that they might understand and believe. That takes patience. Understanding doesn't come without the work of the Spirit in a person's life. And of course, we know that all of us are indebted to the Spirit for the most basic understanding of the gospel, much less the complex things. However, part of that process for many people, and we know these people, is coming to a better understanding. They need to be led intellectually to that point. This is part of the Spirit's work in their heart. Part of the Spirit's work to instruct their minds. And so we're not taking away from the Spirit's work at all by doing this. Philip was patient to talk with this man. Everything from simple faith in Christ to baptism, which we will talk about later. He had to lead him to that point. This this Ethiopian eunuch didn't just all of a sudden derive baptism from Isaiah 53. He had to be shown this, which Peter did for him. As believers, no one, not one of us, none of us can say, well, I'll just leave that to the teachers. We are all called to know what we believe and to be able to give an account for what we believe. To do otherwise is to go against the simple and plain directives from God. Yes, there are some who are gifted teachers, and that's fine, but that doesn't give anyone an excuse to not teach. When a student has a question at school, I don't tell them to go to Murray State and ask an expert in biology to get the answer to that question. What do I do if I don't know it? I look it up. I learn it. How much more then should we be willing to learn about our faith so that we can teach our families, so that we can teach our loved ones, even strangers, about our faith? These aren't feel-good words that lift up your soul. These are the very words of life. Isaiah 53 isn't about some mythical person that may or may not have existed. It's about Jesus Christ who did exist and is the hope of the world. There is no other way by which man can be saved. To know Jesus is to know eternal life. If we cannot teach it, then we may not know it ourselves. Philip's question, do you understand what you are reading, sadly, 
could be posed to many in the church today and they'd be found wanting for an answer. Again, this isn't about theological prowess here. This isn't about the use of big heavy words to impress anything like that. And those big words have an okay use sometimes. I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm saying is, this is the basics of our faith. Look at Isaiah 53. Turn there with me real quick. Isaiah 53. We can start reading. I'll just start reading at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one whom from men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you keep going, we should read this as believers, and the light should come on. Our hearts should jump. This is about Jesus. You can see it from the text. Again, like I said, it reads just like an eyewitness account of the crucifixion. He was silent. As he went before his tormentors. He was put up beside two criminals. Are we left thinking when we read this. I don't understand this. And again. It's not wrong. To not understand something. But when it comes to faith. It is wrong. To lack understanding. And then choose to not do anything about it. It's why we preach through books of the Bible in this church. It's why we have a deep Sunday school time. It's why we encourage folks to listen to deep teachers and not namby-pambies. It's because we have a deep faith that requires our diligent and constant study. Though our knowledge does not save people at all, you can know every book that's ever been written on theology and not know the gospel and not know how to teach the gospel. Our knowledge does not save people. But it does teach us more and more about the only one who can. And that brings us to this last point, acting in obedience. And so, start with verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop, and both he or both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, or, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. 
So, acting in obedience of what he had just previously heard, the Ethiopian eunuch desired to be baptized. And he was. Philip baptized him. And then Philip, all of a sudden, was carted away somehow. God just decided to take him to a place that is several miles, maybe 20 miles away or so from here to the to the coast. And notice what happens. A couple things. Interesting. The Ethiopian rejoices. Not because Philip's gone, but because he had Jesus. His faith was in Jesus. Not in Philip. In Jesus. And he rejoiced. Philip is carted off to some place. Maybe he's been there. Maybe he recognized where he was. We don't know. Azotus is one of the names given for one of the five uh, Philistine cities, and he's on the coast there. He goes through these towns preaching the gospel, and he settles in a town called Caesarea. We won't hear about Philip again until Acts 21, but he's there in Caesarea when we read about him, and there are believers there. We all know there will be things that will change in life, where we live people that are in our lives, the circumstances that are going to be in our lives. All these things are going to change constantly. They're always changing. One of the things that should not change is our continued zeal for the Word of God to see people come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the only one who is any hope, who gives mankind any hope at all. How will they hear without a preacher? Preach the word. Follow in obedience. And so in conclusion, our calling, again, whether you're an accomplished theologian or you're just learning the basics, which we're all always learning the basics, by the way, is to know and understand what we read in the word of God. It is this very message of life that are this message that gives life to our souls. And it's the only way by which the unsaved can learn about Jesus and be saved. There is no salvation outside of the preaching of the word, whether it comes from the pulpit or man running alongside a chariot in the desert. Brothers and sisters, let us be preachers of the word. Let us be ones who never give up the quest to learn more and more from it that the world may know Jesus is the Savior. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are quick to be very complacent in this, to hide in our own understanding and just want to bottle up knowledge and rather than teach. And also, Lord, to be complacent with a a small bit of knowledge to not want to learn more to be satisfied with what we know even though you are inexhaustible we are satisfied with a little bit and so Lord we pray that you would fix our hearts we are people who desire more and more to know you we want to see your kingdom come Lord help us to do that help us to be preachers of the gospel be ones who patiently Teach your word that others may know that you are the creator of the world, the only God, the Savior for all mankind. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
So at this time, let's stand and sing our response to His Word.